Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join me today. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. And today I have a really extra special guest. We've been trying to coordinate and schedule. And I'm so thrilled to say that Yolanda F. Johnson is on the podcast today. Welcome, Yolanda. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So, With more than two decades of experience in the nonprofit sector, Yolanda has had an outstanding career as a performing artist, which we're going to talk about all of this, as a composer, as a producer, as an educator, and she has used her background as a performer to become a sought-after fundraising expert. In addition to leading YFJ Consulting, LLC... Yolanda is the president of Women in Development, WID New York, the New York City area's premier professional organization for women in fundraising and philanthropy. She also has an outstanding career as a performing artist and has used her background in all of these areas to create two membership communities for nonprofit professionals, Women of Color in Fundraising and Philanthropy, also known as WOKE, W-O-C, and Allies in Action Membership Network. In your spare time, Yolanda, you also <laughs> launched Philanthro Tees, a t-shirt and home goods brand dedicated to building the philanthropic lifestyle with a portion of the proceeds going toward nonprofit organizations. How do you manage all of this and how did you get started in all of this work? Well, I do sleep, I promise. Yes, sleep is so <laughs> um, important. People ask me how I sleep and I say, sleep is like my number one. Yeah, you can't get all the work done, right? And I would be remiss if I did not thank my team. I have an incredible team that um, if you surround yourself with talented, lovely people, like-minded people, then True. you may have the absolute fortune and gift of seeing your dreams come through to fruition. So I'm really grateful for that. Wonderful. How did you get started? Gosh, truly, I I got started many years ago as a college senior at the University of Tulsa, where I was a music major, vocal performance. I have a bachelor's degree in performance, and then I went to get my master's degree in arts administration with a focus on development and fundraising. Mm. So there were a bunch of orchestras closing. And I had a professor who said, you know, when an orchestra closes, it started to really bring it home. It's the lifeblood of an arts community, of a music community. Because while, you know, dance, you might be able to do to pre-recorded music, but opera, it's just Mm -hmm. a deal breaker. Like, I'm not going to have a company to sing at. And my professor said, well, what are you going to do about it? And there were these several different orchestras where you had like 
cellists moonlighting as executive directors who didn't have the fundraising or business administrative acumen to keep things going. And so I said, you know, I'm going to make sure that I do something in my master's to keep the other side of the arts going strong so that I have places to sing. And, you know, let's keep you know, the nonprofit arts sector going strong and music sector and performing arts so that we can move it forward and not collapse like what was happening. And then I fell in love with it. So, you know, even my senior year, I threw our first school of music gala just from scratch because I love mm-hmm. I've loved events since I was like six years old. But yeah, and just fell in love with it from there. Did a bunch of internships um, with Arts and Humanities Council, with the Philharmonic in town. Just really went after it full force, headed out to Ohio for my master's, and the rest is history because there it was just this complete immersion and this pragmatic approach to keeping all of that good work going. And I learned so much mm-hmm. uh, about fundraising and about the nonprofit sector in that program, and then came back and That was my life is always finding this balance of getting all of that done. How do you feel that your background as a performer has influenced your fundraising career? Very much so. So I have a workshop called All the Worlds a Stage. And there's a version called All the Worlds a Virtual Stage as well. (laughs) (laughs) Very apropos. But I realized when I was sitting in a major financial banking institution's private dining room about to make a huge ask, a formidable ask to a donor, that mm-hmm. I was at a distinct advantage because I was getting into character and I actually <sighs> was enjoying the challenge. And I was like, huh, that was a total performance. That dining room was my stage and I was on it and I wanted to get that gift and I sold it and had a great conversation. And because of my performance background, it was fun, actually. Mm-hmm. It's a good challenge. And I said, there's something to this, to even the inflection of your voice. How you're getting into your know, authentic best self, your character there. Um, you know, what I call it your treasure trove of fabulousness. What am I going to pull out of there? I need to be right now as my authentic best self to make sure that I close this gift. And it was a fun challenge. And I was like, yeah, there's something to this. So I've always used that right down to breathing and everything else, you know, that comes with performance practice. It's definitely been a great skill to have in my back pocket as I've gone through my philanthropic career. Wow. Also the treasure trove of fabulousness. What an amazing (laughs) term. So do you teach people how to find their own treasure trove of fabulousness? I do. Actually, that's so funny that you asked me that. I recently did that for WID, for Women in Development. We did a program called yes. Delve into Your Treasure Trove of Fabulousness. I was going to um, so steal yeah, it. Try- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's very so, yes, cool. I try, to, I try to help people you know, delve into their treasure troves as, as often as they possibly can. I absolutely love that. I think there is so much about fundraising and development that is not performance in a way that people are going to think, oh, it's not authentic, it's not real, it's acting, but in a way that you have to prepare. You can't just go in blind. You probably have some kind of a script, but you can't sound like you're reading from a script. Mm -hmm. And you just have to do your homework and you have to know your stage and know who you're talking to. So I think that's all incredibly relevant for a lot of fundraising professionals. So today, what I want to focus on because you've done this so successfully. And I know that so many people, whether they be 
consultants or nonprofits or membership organizations, you founded these two membership communities. So Woke, which is the Women of Color in Fundraising and Philanthropy and Allies in Action Membership Network. So I want to, first of all, offer congratulations on the, at this time of, you know, when we're going to publish this, the almost two-year anniversary of both of your communities. That's a huge, huge accomplishment. And I want to ask you, what inspired you to create both of these groups? Well, thank you so much um, for that. It's been a really exciting time. It all started with the fact that I happen to be the first Black president of WID, um, and it's more than 40-year history, which was really a head-scratcher for a lot of people for New York City premier fundraising organization, but wasn't because we know that we need um, a more diverse leadership pipeline and pipeline in general in the sector. So that was a big diversity milestone. At that same time, I launched a diversity and inclusion task force that was a two-year endeavor, and it happened to culminate right around the time of George Floyd. But before that, I've been working with women for over a decade. Like That's just been my heart in the philanthropic sector. So I had been doing roundtables with women of color, career roundtables. Even when the pandemic was happening, we were doing these roundtables and bringing people together. I'd always wanted to make sure that we were creating that pipeline um, through the work that I was doing with WID. So I've been in the space for, for many, many years. And what I started to recognize with the start of the, the racial justice movement, the current movement, is that the voices of the women of color had reached fever pitch to wanting a very particular space for the unique experience of being us in the philanthropic space. And so I created Woke. I sat on my couch, I thought of it. I thought of everyone I was hearing from, of all of my experiences for so many years with WID. And I decided that, you know, I learned from that task force that change takes time. And while you continue to move that work forward. And so, you know, WID, I started a standing committee on what we call IED. That's in my work, the theory of change. And it's inclusion first instead Mm -hmm. of DEI. There's so many acronyms to that, though. (laughs) Possible. Is, Is IED, just talk about that acronym and what it means. Well, for my work in the space, that one of the four pillars of my consultancy also, and also with WID, it's reflected, uh, you can have all the diversity in the world, you could have the metrics, and you can have the numbers, and you can have a bunch of unhappy people who do not feel they are included or they belong. And so while it's important to have the pipeline and have the numbers, you really have to start with making people feel included first. And so we start there, and then... The focus starts there and then on equity and then on diversity. And it happens a lot with organizations now. You have to make sure you have an inclusive environment before you can even attract professionals of color. So theory of change is that the individual informs the change to the whole and people change systems are things you hear me say a lot, but it all starts with that I. So did all that work with WID. I've been working in the space with women for so long and then decided to continue the work that I had been doing with the roundtables and everything else. And I said, you know, we need woke. And so I went ahead and did it. I didn't know exactly what would happen. And suddenly it just really took off. It was very much a needed thing at the time for the particular benefits that we were bringing to the sector and the structure that we have with the professional development. Our job board is is second to none right now. Um, We've got so many different things. We have the Radiant Leadership Institute that we launched. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Is that underneath 
the woke brand. Yes, yes, all of this is woke. The the seed was planted because of my role and my work with, but then woke became its own entirely separate thing that I did through my own consultancy. So yeah, Radiant is through woke, and we're culminating at the Bush School down in D.C. this year, and really excited about that. We had an amazing inaugural cohort, and with Radiant, we always say, "Don't fit in, stand out, and shine." And so we're doing this beautiful disruption of the space. And one of the coolest things about Radiant is that we know about the just abhorrent inequity with nonprofit board leadership. And so what we do is literally place each of the cohort members into a leadership position in a board fellowship or another leadership position for a one-year fellowship to learn the ropes and hopefully be invited onto those boards. So we're literally diversifying boards through Radiant. So really That's exciting. amazing. I was going to ask you about your events and your activities. Is that sort of one of your signature activities? Radiant, yeah, we have a mentor program, mentor match. We have an executive accountability program called Check in Chicas. We have something called Wokes the Word, which is a an Ask the Expert sort of format. We have lots of other different programming that happens throughout the year. Our, our connections weeks where we bring people together. Yeah, it's 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 wow. an exciting space to be in, and a lot of wonderful work being done. So what advice would you give to other people that are trying to build and grow their own membership communities? I would say that you have to know that unique value proposition. Like Mm -hmm. what is the need? You have to think a bit, you know, like an entrepreneur in the sense of an entrepreneur with heart, understanding what need there is and why you're the person to bring it to the fore and what you can provide to people to really help them. It mm-hmm. has to honestly be about helping people. And my heart, like I said, in the space has always been for equity for women and to move women forward from all the people who helped me. I wanted to pay that forward. And that came from my heart. And so I had a certain amount of enthusiasm and momentum to be able to do that. And also I would be remiss you know, not to acknowledge the fact of the wonderful network that I had been able to build in my career up to that point. And it's those people that I called upon and said, Hey, you know, some of them that mm-hmm. were sponsors, I call them now. I said, do you remember when I was sitting on my couch, like telling you I had this wild idea to create mm-hmm. this thing called a woke <laughs> and they got behind it. And you know, the rest is history right now. And with allies in action, you know, that happened organically because with the work I was doing with woke and with mm-hmm. Lid, I started hearing from all these white allies who were literally asking me, Yolanda, what do I do? And I couldn't create individual plans for everyone. And so I got together with a friend of mine who's part of the Obama administration. She's a racial sensitivity expert now. And we threw around some ideas, came up with the four pillars of education, legislation, inclusion, and action. Wow. And that's amazing. Action, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's really, I'm proud of the work and action includes philanthropy. So, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of last year, we actually did philanthropic portfolio where we ranked and did all the vetting for organizations that support communities of color. We gave out three different $1,000 awards to the top three organizations and tried to just promote them and move them forward within the allies community and the community at large within woke. So that's been really rewarding work because it's so important. And with the pandemic, we were in such a situation of checking boxes or, you know, we don't want to be performative with this. We wanted to create a space where it's real lifestyle change. And so that's what we're doing with both Woke and Allies. And now a word from our sponsor. I'm here to tell you that 
This podcast episode is sponsored by my newest free training, Social Media in 20 Minutes Per Day. This is where I give you my exact framework and process to schedule and organize your time so that social media does not take over your entire day and to-do list. Watch the replay for free at social media in 20, that's 20, the number's 20.com. And be sure to tag me on social to let me know what you think. That's social media in 20.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I love that you call it allies in action because as an ally myself, I feel like a lot of the work is performative. Unfortunately, like you said, Mm -hmm. I think we are ticking boxes. We're hiring consultants. We're saying, oh, we need more people of color on our boards. We need to hire more diverse people. We have no idea what that means and nor do necessarily a lot of us really want to understand what that means and what the real change and systemic change involved means. So I appreciate that you call it allies in action. And I love that one of your pillars is action because I do believe in learning. I believe in Mm -hmm. edification and I completely believe in gaining new experiences and reading and all of that. But at the end of the day, you got to put your money where your mouth is, right? You've got to donate to causes call legislators. You really have to create that systemic change. So I think that's that's fantastic. I, I agree with that pillar. So how do you continually engage and connect with your members, especially in this virtual environment? Are, we, are you back to sort of in-person hybrid? How are you doing the connection and engagement? Well, started out virtually and what we're planning to do in throughout 2022 is something called woke around the world. And so that Mm -hmm. also includes allies. And so we're having events in about 12 or 13 cities across the country. We'll also be over in the UK later on this year. And it's really exciting to bring people together and to establish those sort of in-person chapters slowly, but surely going to take advantage of the spring and the summer months as you know, things are continue to evolve in the mm-hmm. way that we live now, but really looking forward to to transitioning to in-person throughout this year. So we'll be everywhere from LA to the Bay Area to Chicago and Atlanta, of course, New York City around our anniversary date, be in Boston. Yes, um, Boston. When are you going to be in Boston? <laughs> I'll let you know that for sure. We're know. confirming okay. the date. Um, just A real world see. tour. It is. It's really a tour and and we're super excited about it. The DC event we know will happen on the evening of May 6th because that is when we culminate the Radiant Institute. We figured out we might as well just celebrate and invite everybody over. So yeah, it'll be an exciting time for that. And we'll definitely keep you posted. That's wonderful. So who is your target audience? Current members, prospective members? For Walk Around the World? Yes. It's everybody. We want to see the people that we've already connected with virtually in person and celebrate. And, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. such a, a celebration just to be like, I've emailed you a million times. You've come, I've seen you on Zoom, and now we're in the same room together. And it's great to see you and to be able to connect that way. So, for the current community, it's bringing us together for new friends and people we may not know already. We certainly mm-hmm. welcome them. So, it's really pretty broad. It's our our foray into the in-person where we're just bringing everyone together who cares about our work. That's amazing. So on the woke website, 
It says that women of color in fundraising and philanthropy strives to dismantle the typical archetype of a philanthropist, which I love. Mm -hmm. We want to redefine philanthropy to truly mean generosity and people being generous to other people. So tell me more about what you call the philanthropic lifestyle. The philanthropic lifestyle is a lifestyle brand that I've created around all of this work. And it's thinking really intentionally about the way that we live and how can we give back in in ways that you may not have thought of before. So it's living philanthropically, you know, from a pair of earrings, a beautiful pair of earrings that I got from the Starfish Project. Mm -hmm. That goes to stopping and supporting women who have been victims of human trafficking and stopping human trafficking and supporting those women. And so I was like, you know, if I can buy a pair of earrings and be really intentional about that, I'm going to do that. And then when I'm spending my money, I'm going to, you know, not let that imposter syndrome come over me, especially as a woman of color. I'm going to remember that I stand on the shoulders of giants who have come before me and that philanthropy may look different in different ways. If you pay your tithes to church, you know, any other way that you're, you're giving back right down to, I think I saw uh, some potato chips (laughs) the Uh other day that give back to charity. So, you know, when you can take the time to give back to local businesses and to women of color on business, people of color on businesses, women on businesses, um, and just try to get the good work done through the way that you live your life. I, I have a big, big tea party, a Christmas tea party every year Mm. and digging deeper as far as that's concerned. And how can we give back when we all come together to celebrate because it just feels better. So, you know, just thinking very intentionally about living philanthropically and and being generous um, in ways that you may, that may not immediately come to mind, but you have to sit down and think about it. Exactly. I think that too. And I know that you know, as fundraising leaders, people often come to us and say, oh, does my donation make a difference? Does $5 make a difference? Doesn't it all just go to overhead? You know, whatever the misconceptions and myths that people have heard. So any way that I can encourage giving into everyday life and normalize giving and democratize giving and make it accessible and available to everyone, no matter how much they have, or what you say here, you know, redefine philanthropy to truly mean generosity. I think Mm -hmm. that spirit needs to be taken further. So I appreciate that. So while I have you here, just because you are an expert in, in what you call IED, I would love for you to give everyone listening, you know, some steps or some tips that nonprofits can actually take to expand opportunities for women of color in fundraising? Well, I think that the first would be to do an organizational assessment and meet yourself where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, over the past year or so, you know, everybody came out with a statement. Oh, right. And, you yeah. know, in the thick of things. And then after the statements came the establishment of many internal entities and public promises that were made. So we're still in this period of not shaming people, but just of good old accountability. What's actually being done? Because I can guarantee you that your donors of color care about that and will be asking about that. But, you know, are you fostering an inclusive environment? I actually recently, well, not so recently, but a few months ago, wrote an article for salesforce.com about DEI and fundraising, and I give five top tips there. And so 
you know, you want to make sure you're creating an inclusive environment, that you have plans in place to steward your donors of color, that you're starting at the very top with board leadership and executive leadership and making sure that people see people that look like them and that it becomes the norm, that you're not always the exception as a woman of color. Just that supportive environment. So start at the top. Who's on the board? Does the board reflect the constituency? Does the senior staff reflect it? And then how are you bringing people together to make sure those perspectives and voices are heard? And that's what a lot of the internal entities and mechanisms you know, were created for. Uh, did you follow up? Did you keep it going? Was it performative? Or is it something that's really being transformative? And so... I think those are some of the top things you can do. Of course, professional development and just providing that support and not ever making assumptions, but creating a space where, uh, you know, you really can be an ally to women of color to create that pipeline and to maintain it. So you manage these two communities. I can imagine that sometimes there are very uncomfortable conversations, sometimes heated conversations. People may be skeptical, hesitant, they might even be defensive. So with such a charged topic, an emotional topic, how do you sort of, how do you manage these conversations and how do you keep the community on track sort of towards the end, the end goal? Well, again, I think creating those brave spaces where you can Mm -hmm. have the dialogue and Understanding, again, our theory of change, my theory of change is that the individual informs the whole. You can't hit people on the head that's work. It has to be an individual journey where they're understanding, you know, as they go throughout their daily life, understanding how it fits into that. And so I think just making those spaces and nobody wants to talk anymore, you know, about a lot of different issues in our country. People scream and shout and they want to be right and nobody like the dialogue's been lost so many exactly exactly they want to just yell and be proven right and that yep i agree now when it comes to to racial and gender equity i tend from my own lived Mm. experience and what i believe you know there there is a right but it's like you have to sometimes just create that space because then we're going back as far as to unconscious bias and all the different things that inform how people have come to where they are. Now, if you go to the Allies website and webpage, cover page, homepage rather, you'll see our statement that it's not a black person's responsibility to teach white people about racism. And we believe that very fervently. But seeing what's at stake in our country, I was game to try to help people and help guide them and plant those seeds to get people where they needed to be to understand, because one of the best quotes about this has been really unattributed, but to those accustomed to privilege, equity can seem like oppression. Yes. Say that that again. To those accustomed to privilege, equity can seem like oppression. Yes. So when you are in the privileged group, when things are starting to to be equitable and you have to give up some of that privilege, that can be a hard pill to swallow. It's why we have issues like what I call white fatigue right now. Like we have issues like white resentment, which is more of an economic sort of issue, but divided we fall. So opening up those spaces for dialogue, but a dialogue that is safe for the people of color, because there's already been enough that's been endured. And we do need to feel safe enough um, to have conversations and have our voices be heard. 
in an environment where it's receptive and not just holding the dialogue for the sake of saying that the dialogue has been held, but holding the dialogue for the sake of transformational change and really listening to people and finding those entry points. I believe it is a fundamental best practice for everyone in this sector Mm -hmm. to bring up issues of IED and of equity for women of gender and racial equity. You don't have to be an expert. But wherever you are, everybody has a role to play. Wherever you are, whatever tables at which you have a seat, to to bring it up and to spark that dialogue so that we can keep heading in the right direction. Absolutely. It's like people that say, oh, I'm not political. I don't talk politics. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Brene Brown says, one of my favorite quotes, to not have the conversation because of discomfort is the definition of privilege. and. I've always thought that. And that really stuck with me when I read that. And and when she said that, and I, I saw her speak and I thought that's absolutely right. Just to say, I don't want to talk about it. Well, that means that your life, your body, your very existence is not actually on the line. So you mm-hmm. can afford to put your head in the sand and not talk about it. And it's not going to affect your daily life. So I think that's absolutely That's absolutely right. So I really, oh my gosh, I really appreciate you being here. I was going to ask you to sing, but I'm not going to ask you to sing (laughs) because we can go find it on YouTube. But what people might not know is that you are an accomplished soprano. You're getting back to the stage. So tell me what you're working on. Ah, yes. COVID was a really tricky time for, you know, live performances and being on stage again. So I'm super excited to get back, especially here during Black History Month. I did my first last month bringing to life some African-American art in the 20th century and doing some music around there. And now for Black History Month, I'll be presenting my Spirituals Experience. It's a concert lecture, which has a few special things added to this version. Just, you know, thinking about all the hidden meanings behind the spirituals. It's a, it's a real a wonderful time to come together and, and dig through and delve through the oral history of African-Americans and all of that. And then for Women's History Month next month, um, have some wonderful things with women composers and just looking ahead at a year full of performance with music and of uh, a lot of meaningful things in philanthropy as well. Where can people find that performance on your website? Yes, on YolandaFJohnson.com. Okay. YolandaFJohnson.com. And then how else can people find you and get in touch with you? You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on YFJ-consulting.com, which has links to get to Woke and to Allies in Action as well, all the different projects. So yeah, and check me out on YFJ Consulting or Yolanda F. Johnson. Great. And I will put all of those links into the show notes. And I really appreciate you being here, especially for Black History Month. And especially, like you said, Women's History Month being next month. And I think there's a lot to celebrate and obviously still a lot to do, a lot of work to do. So I will put all of those links in the show notes and everyone definitely connect with Yolanda F. Johnson, connect with one of the communities and continue just changing the world, doing such great work. Thanks, Yolanda. Thank you so much, Julia. Thanks for having me. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app 
and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell 77 Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Oh, 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 oh